Good morning. Watching the you watching the, you watching the uh, Strati comp? I actually am. I could hear it. It's pretty good. Heard it was pumping. I, I just turned on Heat One, and it's got Jack Robinson and Matthew McGillery and uh, Liam O'Brien. Only one name I recognize, but yeah, uh, right. I was gonna say you said Matthew McGillivray rolled off the tongue because I feel like it's become a household name now. No, but um, I gotta say the waves are the stars, and there's pumping South Stradbroke Island surf, and I don't care who's in the water, but there's wedging solid peaks with tubes, so it's pretty fun to watch. It's the first ever comp on professional comp on South Stratty. You're frozen. Spit. You're frozen. How about now? Any good? Now it just finally kicked back in. Do you want to do the thing where you turn your internet off and turn it on again? I think if you played your... Oh, it's still frozen. Okay. Let me try to come back to you. Okay. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Let's try again. Hey, yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It's early on a Tuesday morning. It's October 6th, Tuesday, 2020. And uh, yeah, guy. Welcome, David. Good morning, David Lee Scales. Scott Bass here with you. We're spitballing. We're attempting to spitball. We're having some technical issues, but we're trying to work through it. I think we're back. Um, yeah, it's early in the morning. What's the what's the call? Are you going to surf afterwards? Yes. The okay. surf's been ridiculous. Dude, I guess, I mean, I was out of town for the weekend, um, but it looked like it was just absolutely pumping all weekend. I got back Sunday night, kind of an hour, maybe 90 minutes before sundown, so I snuck in a little session. There was no wind at all, which kind of never happens, but um, so I just got the tail end of that, but yeah, it looks like it's been pumping, huh? Yeah, yesterday was all time um, with that hurricane tropical swell, Marie, mixing in with some west-northwest wind swell and some other south swell. Very unique combination. Um, you sort of saw different peaks and different parts, different reefs sort of light up in different ways. And um, beach breaks down here were really good yesterday. All about that it's, combo. It's good to hear it today, too. This morning should be pretty fun. It's a little smaller. Uh, did you get that Rawson out? No, I didn't. I didn't ride that board. I probably should have yesterday morning. I was out at the crack, like dark, dark at a local beach break. And um, I got some really good waves, but that board might have been a little bit more of the option because it was just take off and pull in. There wasn't, there weren't too many turns to be had. I can see a crease. There's like, um, like you put it in the board bag with something and there's like a line right below the logo. Yeah. It looks like a ringworm in your board. Yeah, that's courtesy of the airlines. Perhaps my leash or something in the board bag or something like that. Thick leash. Yeah. Um, good. Well, I'm glad. Glad you're getting some waves. Yeah. Fun waves. Um, what, where do we begin? Do we go feedback from last show? What do we, I mean, this has yeah, honestly been should... the biggest week of surfing news probably that we've had in 2020. There's a lot to cover. There is. 
Um, let's just really rip through some of this. Um, hey, this is feedback from the last show. First thing I want to get out there, actually, David, is this bit of feedback from Instagram message. Somebody I somebody DM'd me. Scott, stop with the COVID opinions. And that's what they are, opinions. It's not okay. And frankly, it's a reason to turn the show off. So I wanted to get that out there because I think that's a valid point. I think there's probably more than one person that feels that way. Um, I think people get enough COVID. They don't need us talking COVID. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that. But on top of that, let me say this. I just listened to Spit. Here's some basic facts to help you educate David on the COVID science. Yes, vaccinations in Australia will be mandatory for citizens and anyone entering. The community goal is to get to 95% of the population vaccinated. As for nanobots in the vaccine, that's just bullshit, laughable, really. You can read it here, and he sent a bbc.com link. On masks, yes, they are overall beneficial. You can read it here. On the economy, the goal here is to fix the health crisis to boost the economy. For the first time in 29 years, Australia entered a recession when the March quarter fell. The June quarter, it fell again. The community goal is to get positive economic growth by the first quarter of next year and get out of this recession ASAP as COVID spread in the country. It's down to now about 10 cases a day. And our next goal is to open the borders in Australia. The only way to do that is to follow basic science. Protocols suck, masks sucks, but it's a way to get us out of this problem, get us into the solution. Hope that helps. Um, Dave from Marubra. Wow. Thanks for the education. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed, I noticed you, um, you read Dave from Marubra's emails as often as I read Rainbow from New Zealand's emails. You seem to have a real thing going. One more and I'll let it end here unless you've got but, something else. I mean, I've got uh, a ton. I wasn't going to read them, but I've got, I got feedback on that, but read this one too. Okay, yeah, here's the last real quick. Hi, David and Scott. Tell David even a dirty bandana is better than nothing. Just ask Trump. P.S. I love the music at the end of the show, Greg. Yeah, right. He didn't say that. He did. Did he? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Oh, uh, that's funny. I heard the opposite from a couple people, but. Um, About the music? Yeah. But, oh, really? but that's neither here nor there. Um, here's what's hilarious to me. With those ones that you read specifically. Yeah. And I won't read you all the counter arguments, um, but you raising your voice saying wear an effing mask to me does not mean that I don't wear a mask. I said to you repeatedly, I wear a mask, I wear a mask, I wear a mask. And you constantly going, wear an effing mask. Somehow people walk away from that. This is reflective, I think, of the society that we're living in now. Yeah. People walk away thinking I don't wear a mask because you interrupted me and because you raised your voice. And so that's what they hear. Yeah. I never said I don't wear a mask. Yeah. All that, all my entire intention through all of that was we have the platform here to have kind of a more nuanced discussion and unpack these topics and saying wear an effing mask isn't adequate or effective. There's more kind of nuance to the conversation that we can have. And second, it probably also is divisive. Like it makes people not want to respond. 
So yeah. all that I was saying on the heels of your social dilemma kind of praising is there's so much polarizing information being spewed out that gets re refused later or science that gets changed. By the way, the science isn't all in yet because it takes time. So it all changes constantly. And one kind of, um, what is he? He was a scientist, a uh, public health scientist that emailed both of us was saying, he gave us like really insightful feedback on when things have changed. I know they used to say that surfaces transfer the virus and now they don't. So it's confusing because you start following this and then that changes. All that I was saying was, if we're going to say wear a mask, let's say wear a medical mask or wash your cloth mask or put a filter in your cloth mask. Wearing, just saying wear an effing mask isn't quite adequate enough. There's better masks than others. Why are you laughing? Oh, uh, just the part of, <laughs> that there's an effing in front of every time I say it. There's well, I, I mean, I didn't go back and listen, but I'm pretty sure that is a direct quote. Or it was a <laughs> sign off. It was the sign off of the show for sure. Um, so, but my point is, as I'm trying to get this, this kind of discussion out, yeah. you're interrupting me saying, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, maybe not effing. And it's like, all right. And ultimately I thought about it because we started getting a bunch of feedback and I thought about it in hindsight, you entered that conversation talking about your business and that conference call that you got off of and how to get business back up and running. So I in hindsight, had the realization that you got skin in the game and you're eager to get this thing up and running as we all are for health reasons. And I think I was goading you at first because that's what we do with all of our surf topics. And, um, and that's why, I mean, the Trump, the, uh, nanobot, the Bill Gates nanobot thing is clearly a joke. Like I clearly, I don't even have YouTube links to support. Like I don't even, I've just heard that discussed. So I was just joking about that goading you not kind of realizing initially that you have skin in the game and that's why you're bringing this topic up. And so uh, I, I that's how it went all, off the we rails. We all have skin in the game. Yeah, but the reason we why you brought it up was in relation to your business and getting every, you know, public events back up and running was why you yeah. brought it up initially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but listen, this one relates to that and, an, and another kind of update to the news story he said, Hey, I just listened to the latest spit and felt the need to chime in on the discussion surrounding co uh, Australia and the apparent successes with COVID-19. While Australia has had some success with combating the virus, I question the cost, particularly as it pertains to travel both domestically and internationally. My wife and I fortunately live on the coastal region near Victoria or in Victoria near Bells Beach. And I've been able to surf and move around the state uh, more than the people living in Melbourne, for example. But we're also expats of the U.S. We've lived here for 10 years and we still travel yearly to visit family and friends in the States. I'm not sure if you're aware, though, that we still can't travel interstate, let alone internationally. There are some exceptions to this, depending on what state you live in. But generally speaking, there are still many border restrictions in place. We're both dual citizens and currently unable to leave Australia unless we have a very compelling reason, but even some people with terminally ill family members are, have been declined. So even if we were able to travel and leave to the US, there's no guarantee that I'd be able to return home to Australia on the date that we wanted due to international flight limits, border controls. Um, on top of that, if we did manage to make it home to Victoria, we, were we would currently be forced to spend 14 days in a hotel quarantine at our own cost two hours away from home. We have pets, we have jobs, uh, we can't afford that type of risk. 
and not to mention the financial burden. Furthermore, if you have folks getting older, the uncertainty around when or if you'll be able to travel to see them does induce some level of anxiety that takes a mental toll. I'm not meant to be a complaining rant as I fully acknowledge up front that my wife and I are more fortunate than a lot of others. However, I don't want to paint to paint the picture as though Australia has solved all of the problems is inaccurate. There is some cost. I'm not suggesting that Australia should open and throw caution to the wind, but the rest of the world seems to be moving on to some degree with travel, as long as you can demonstrate that you do not have COVID, wear masks, social distance. And all the while, I feel that Australia is being left in the dust. I couldn't even imagine how all of the tourism operators and people that depend on international tourists for their livelihoods feel uh, with that uncertainty. Just some food for thought here um, in, in case you think that we have it made. Love both of your work. Cheers. All right. That's good insight. Yeah, I talked to Sean Doherty too, recorded a podcast with him, and he kind of alluded to some of the same stuff in different words, but basically said because they've done such a good job locking down and containing the path towards reopening is actually a lot, lot more kind of difficult and longer because every one case now feels super significant. And I mean, will there ever be a time where you can completely eradicate it? Probably not. So you're going to have to, you either open super slowly and get one case at a time and take years to open, or you kind of open in bigger measures and have these huge spikes and have big freakouts, you know? hysteria yeah look i'll just make one final um you know it's not a statement but um it's 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 true that um well i'm just not gonna I, actually let's just leave it there okay I do, have, I do have another uh email regarding quads remember we we're talking about quad fins i do um somebody said hey dear scott Tom Curran, Jeffrey's Bay, greatest wave ever ridden, quad. Great call. I know. That was a good one. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if he was, uh, <clears throat> you know, terrorizing me a little bit or terrorizing you, or maybe he was just making the point because it seemed like he was just making a great point. Like, I don't think it's antagonizing either of us. I think uh, we were struggling to access in that moment kind of the value of a quad, and that wave speaks volumes. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have no problem accessing the value of a quad. Well, I'm, I, to read for whoever didn't listen to that, what I was, the point that I was making is it's a tweener. Like the twin has value. I can identify a bunch of virtues in the twin and I can identify a bunch of virtues in the thruster and the quad does marginal levels of both of those things. And so that's where I was trying to look for where is the unique value in the quad. Yeah. And honestly, that current wave, I would have bet money that he was riding a thruster. I mean, I know that it was a quad, but if I just yeah. looked at that footage for the first time, I would have bet money that that was a thruster because it looks like a thruster. I agree. Totally. When I found out that was a quad, whatever it was many years ago, I think Sonny actually told me I was blown away. You it's know? such an unlikely outline and design of a board to have a quad set up on well that's this one here's a quad as we mentioned last time i mean this yeah. is a, if you looked at the deck of this board you'd be like nice thruster that looks like a great step up you know i feel like the the current one was more knifey though like more pointy yeah. and foiled and thin yeah 
Yeah, more like nine, 1991 with the exactly. real hyper kick nose. And, yeah. Yeah. So the big news, David, why don't you lead us off here? Well, I feel like we're going to bury the big news. There was an initial news story, Surfer Magazine. Uh, is that the, do you, does that seem like the lead, the Surfer Magazine story? Yeah, what do, what do you think is the I big would news? agree. I would agree. I'm not even sure what other big news there is. Well, the uh, WSL running a comp is a big news. I got follow-up to Laird. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Maurice Cole running for city council is a news what? story. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, okay, we'll start with the biggest story, and I'll come back to the secondary uh, surfer story. Oh, surfer- I, think surf- I think Surfer Magazine is the lead. It is, but what I'm okay. saying is there's two Surfer Magazine stories. So the big Surfer Magazine oh, right. story right. is that Surfer Magazine is actually uh, shuttering, closing its doors, ceasing publication, um, ceasing operation as a business from what we can tell. Certainly ceasing op- operation as a publication. Whether or not they maintain some sort of a digital footprint, I don't know. Do you know that? No, that's actually the big question. I think, you know, like... Does the website exist? Will it continue to exist? You'd have to be living under a rock to not have heard this story that they're stopping publication. Anybody who had any affiliation with Surfer, even as much as just being influenced by Surfer, has been sending their um, condolences on Instagram and posting cover shots. So about a year ago, this is kind of a long time coming. And um, about a year and a half ago, I think it was in 2019, Surfer Magazine cut half of their staff. I think that's when Grant Ellis left as the photo editor. And so those were all news. We discussed that and it was like, God, this, the writing's kind of on the wall. You know, print is really hurting. And um, how much longer ultimately does Surfer have? And I think at that time we even discussed, it's not a foregone conclusion that this goes away. It's just that they need to pivot the business model. And they're already late. If their goal is to, if the model is to adapt to a digital platform, they're already late to that. So how do they make up that ground? But ultimately what was behind the work, behind the scenes was that the Enthusiast Network was the parent company of Surfer Magazine. They had sold uh, the magazine to American Media. And American Media is a huge conglomerate that owns titles like Men's Journal, Us Weekly, In Touch, plus action sports labels like Bike, Powder, Snowboarder, uh, Trans World Skate. They owned the National Enquirer at one point. I think they had since sold that. But the idea is this is venture capital backed, huge company, and all that matters is return on investment. And so what was happening, even though you and I were discussing like, look, there's a business model pivot that could keep this thing core. They'll have to scale down, but they'll keep it core and they could do like a good quality product. The VC guys have no interest in doing that. All that matters is return on investment. And if you're not, and by the way, significant return on investment, because that money could be put into a million other businesses that are guaranteed to make money and there's it's cutthroat and there's no heart and it's done like a pirate. And so we had those inklings that that's what was happening behind the scenes. But ultimately that is what ended up happening. And on Friday, the entire staff got furloughed. Surfer magazine has not put out a statement yet about this, but everybody who worked there has. (laughs) And so it's all but official 
And um, yeah, what's your take? What are your thoughts? Where did I miss? Um, no, you kind of nailed it. I mean, um, I, you know, I, it's an interesting, the shock is interesting um, because as you said, we saw it coming, we knew it was coming, but I think the shock is felt more by people like you and me in our age group. Like my son's demographic is really one of the two generations that doesn't even give a crap really about this. It's just like, Oh, that's a bummer, you know? Yeah. Um, because, um, he didn't really grow up with surfer as a part of his identity, you know, and that's really what surfer magazine was for me. And I think for many, 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 many others, and really all the magazines, even surfing magazine, you know, a lot of the surf magazines, that's where we sort of, uh, we sort of saw the surf world through the prism of these magazines that arrived in our mailbox every month. And, um, and so it feels a little bit like the age of innocence has been squashed or that, you know, all of those memories with surfer magazine, um, you know, it's finally been, we knew it was coming, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, in fact, Sam George sent me a thing. He's like, let me see if I can find it here. Sam George, a former editor, a surfer said, um, I'm not sure if I had it, but he said something along the lines of it's about time. It's actually an act of kindness that they put the old lady to rest, mm. uh, which I found to be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. What do you, what do you, what does let he me mean see, by that? Let me see if I can find it. Um, hold on. All right, I'll, I'll cut the dead air. I've got it right here. It's in my, um, okay. Here's what Sam wrote to me. This is what Sam George, one of the former editors of Surfer, wrote. Surfer, Surfer magazine phase of my life has been shaped by the fact that from the moment I walked out the door and that last time the mag seemed to forget that I ever existed. No, that's not the quote, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, geez, vindictive much. <laughs> yeah, tell me, that's how his, that's where his heart really is. It's all about him. You're not supposed to hear. It was all about him all along. Everything makes perfect sense. Well, dude, Perfectly quaffed hair. It's that, Sam. Come on. If you know Sam. Okay. He wrote, Scott, from where I'm sitting right this minute, I can see the book that I wrote with Surfer, Surfer Magazine, 50 years. Realizing that I gave full commitment to the magazine, gave it the best I had because with no exaggeration, Surfer Magazine gave me a way of life. But I won't grieve its end. You and I had some of its best years at the helm until the print media's epoch ended. That they finally took the old girl off of life support is a kindness so far as I'm concerned, Sam. Which, uh, yeah, I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But um, from my vantage, not from Sam's vantage, from my vantage, um, you know, I devoured Surfer Magazine as a young kid. Um, and Surfer was the one, you know, Surfer Magazine was the one. And um, the first issue I ever saw, I remember, it was at my friend's house. You know, his sister was a surfer. It was, it was some like 1977 issue. Um, and really, that's why I was so ingrained in the whole busting down the door era, because it was right during basically when Fred Hemming started this sort of international tour, you know, it was just being sort of cobbled together. And I was reading those issues, you know, um, and eventually, you know, I got a subscription. Um, and then as a 
as a worker at a surf shop, I got to read at each and every issue. And there was this thing called the shop copy. You know, the concept of a shop copy is something that's sort of lost, you know, like you never see that anymore. Um, and then, of course, I worked at Surfer Magazine as an intern. Steve Hawk hired me in 97. And then as an online editorial director from 99 to 2007. Um, and my years at Surfer, you know, were wonderful. It let me go around the world um, and surf incredible waves and meet people. And I milked it for everything I could. Um, but it was also extremely frustrating for me as the online editorial director because I would go in. So when I was there, it seemed to get purchased and acquired by different corporations every two years. Prime Media bought it, then um, Source Interlink bought it, and oh, yeah. it just went through a bunch of different phases. And we always had new CEOs and new sort of MBAs would fly in from New York and crunch numbers and tell us what to do. And they would often ask, you know, what's, what's the deal with the, with, with the website? You know, and I would go, look, here's the deal. The number one proposition for surfers, the primary reason that we go online, at least me as a hardcore surfer, is to look at the waves and see what the forecast of the waves are. So we need a cams and forecast network. And we're competing against Surfline right now and some others that are owning the space. And if we're going to win the space, we have to get a cam and network or a cam and forecast network. And they would just always go, nope, not going to happen, too expensive, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, well, then guess what? The website's never going to be in a place where you can monetize it because Surfline owns the space. And they do and they have and they continue to and good for them. They did it right. So I was always frustrated when I worked there. I was constantly going, God, these guys are never going to get it. You know, like, and I don't know how you feel about that, David. If Is that your prime? Do you think that surfers their primary proposition for going online is to check the surf. Yes. Even still to this day, I think that's still it. I totally agree. I mean, yeah. look, I enjoy beach grid. I enjoy stab. I enjoy other outlets that are, that are giving me surf content. Um, but the reason that I go online every morning is to check the surf. Yeah. There's um secondary reason would be like they aggregate all of the videos that are available like Surfline did that really well for a while but stab i feel like is the website that does it now so but yeah that's my second click first is checking the waves second is if i've got downtime seeing what videos are new you know so um another guy who worked there for a long time justin houseman wrote and i'll just kind of summarize my what i think is a it's a good way to tie this up Surfer Magazine meant a great deal over the decades to an awful lot of people, and it still will, but now only as a memory, and that's fine. Time moves on and tastes change. So anyway, there's a lot of good stuff well, out there about this, but um, I'll just so, end it there. So uh, that was the medium of choice for those decades, right? It was print publication. So if you wanted to access, as a fan of surfing, if you wanted to access what was happening in the surf world, whether it be world champions, giant swells, a pipeline, and who was ruling it during the free surf, the magazines were really the only way to do it. And because of that, it created this hierarchical kind of meritocracy for photographers and for writers and for every aspect of kind of the creative putting it together. And... So there was a um, learning curve and like a actual, not a school, but kind of a, almost like a 
a real world life experience school that you had to go through. If you wanted to learn surf, if you wanted to shoot surf photography, you could go, there was a rung ladder that you could follow to learn how to be a surf photographer. And with the democratization of the internet and being able to publish for free, that's really eliminated all of that. And it's good in a lot of ways because unique voices that would never kind of go through that tiny kind of um, thread the needle can get their stuff published and be seen. And they might've, they, maybe they were even unique voices that wouldn't have fit surfer magazines profile. So surfer would never have hired them as a photographer or writer, but they can go right wherever on beach grit or wherever else and um, generate an audience. But what the downside is, is that it takes time to hone a skill. And a lot of the great surf photography that we have that is iconic is like, because that skill was honed through years and years of going through that school and that process and working under flame, working under mentors, you know? And so I think that's what's sad is when you look at Surfer Magazine's list of employees and contributors, it's everybody. It's everybody who's ever had an influence on surf culture has kind of come through that portal and again, been trained under the tutelage of mentors. And to think that there won't be that, uh, I don't know, apprenticeship program, you really have to wonder where do we go from here? It's all, is it just going to be random Instagram photographers? Is it going to, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think that certainly you and I are steeped in the nostalgia of it because that's what we were raised with. So that's one thing. And I don't think we should keep the magazine for that one sole purpose. But there's this other thing that was very functional that created, I think, a higher quality art in a lot of ways and just a better final product, at least for 20 years, 30 years it did of its entire run um, that I do lament going away and I see a lot of value in. Did did your podcast with Sean Doherty touch on this or did this yeah. happen? Yeah, because we talked about this a lot. I was um I got interviewed for a piece in the San Diego Union and he was like, What's next? And I go and I talked to him about Sean and about what they're doing in Australia, that these these brands are sort of sitting in this corporate folder doing nothing. And I'm sure that you could approach them and go, Hey, how much for the trademark? You know, I'll buy the, let me buy the trademark, you know, let me buy it basically for pennies on the dollar, like Sean Doherty did with Surfing World. And um, that opportunity is there, but I think that AMI is probably just going to license the name Surfer out like they did with Surfer the Bar, and they're probably going to make Surfer t-shirts, or anybody can go to them and go, hey, can I buy the license to make Surfer coffee mugs? And they might just milk a few pennies out that way rather than one big sale of the trademark, which were probably pretty pricey. Yeah, look, the what Sean did with Surfing World was because of the ownership structure. There's no chance that Todd Perdonovich can approach private equity and be like, work out a deal with them. You know, they have no interest. Like yeah. they're, they want to see a return on that investment, period. And him saying, well, I'm going to do it from my garage and it's going to be like no, but heartfelt. I mean they'll be like, no, thanks. I agree with that. I agree that it's about money, but yeah. I'm just saying, look, they've got this thing. It's got some value, you know, like the brand still has value. Oh yeah. 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 I don't somebody, think whoever it is approaches them and goes, look, I'll give you X for the brand. It could be like, well, 
okay, we're, that would be more than we're making as we license off the brand trademark here and there to make surfer underwear or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, we'll do it. You know, now what that X is, how much that, I don't know how much it is. I don't know. And, and I, I don't even know if it's for sale, but I'm sure they would certainly entertain an offer if it made sense. Well, here's something that I asked Sean and I'll ask you too. Um, because I'm having a hard time parsing how much of my feelings about it are strictly out of nostalgia versus me. Or, or my question to you is, is telling surf stories, is the magazine the best medium or vehicle for it? Like, do we need, if we want to read a story from Nick Carroll and see no. images of surfing, is this print publication the best way for me to ingest that material? Um, I, th I think it's only the best way in that it has a certain permanence in that it resides here on my desk and it's a little bit more quickly accessible than say, than say probably what I think is the best way, which is oral history, like you doing podcasts, me doing podcasts, people doing podcasts with other people and telling their stories face to face is probably the best way. It's not quite as instantly accessible, but it is obviously very, you know, for you and I, we get it. We know how to turn on our podcast and listen. Um, so it's a way. It's not yeah. probably the best way, but it does have some validity in, its, in that its, its permanence means something. You know, like I can grab my, I've got a bunch of surfers journals right here. I can grab them and pull it up, which by the way, leads us into the next thing, right? Which is, hey, we've got that already. We've got the surfers journal. Interestingly, it made me want to re-up my subscription to the Surfer's Journal, which I let lapse. I'm like, shit, we need to support this. Well, that's what I told Sean, too. I was like, this bodes well for your business because you're going to be hitting people up for subscriptions and they're going to realize that this can go away. Yeah. You know, they'll support just out of nostalgia, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's funny that you're saying the permanence because I remember when I moved and I was like, dude, what do I do with all my surf <laughs> magazines? You're like, throw them away. You don't want to lug those things around. No, you don't even know. I threw away old surfer magazines from what, you know, like sixties era surfer magazines. I looked at them. I was cleaning my garage last year. I'm like, lame. I'm out. You know, what am I going to do? Hold on to these things and just let them take space in my garage. Well, the other thing for you and I is we have Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. We haven't been there due to COVID in months, but they're partners of ours and they have all of it, all of it yeah. archived. So it could either be in their garage or your garage. Right, exactly. Well, um, well, uh, well, so the secondary Surfer Magazine story took place a day or two before Friday and um, they officially endorsed a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris presidential ticket in their quote or in their Instagram post, it was Kamala and uh, Biden high-fiving or something. And it said, um, quote, keep their caption said, quote, keep politics out of surfing is a common refrain on social media these days. But the fact is the, the decisions made in the political realm have tremendous influence over our surfing lives and the health of our coasts. And as our window to prevent the worst outcomes from climate change closes. It's important, more important now than ever to vote like the future of surfing depends on it. That's why for the first time in surfers 60 year history, we're endorsing a presidential ticket. Click on our link to read why surfers should vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Boom. 
and that set the internet ablaze. Um, and now it's like completely old news because of the closing of the magazine, which is actually interesting to think about in hindsight. Was this Todd Pradonovich dropping the mic, like knowing Friday was coming and he's just like, here we go. I'm going to just say what my values are. And by the way, arguably probably what the magazine's values were anyways. Um, or, or was it an approved post from corporate? I don't think they get to approve or disapprove posts. I think they right. happen in real time, but um, yeah, that conspiracy has been floating around out there. I think Todd disavowed that. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. I believe he did. I believe he said it has nothing to do with it. It's just random, um, you know, random dumb luck. Well, um, so I would agree with you that the magazine under Todd and perhaps others, um, um, certainly I don't think their political leanings were anything that were a secret. I mean, if you no, I don't think so. Lines, you know? Yeah, I don't think so either. What are your thoughts though on, first of all, I was out of town without phone reception, so I wasn't keeping real time tabs on this. And I know you were, cause I got some messages, but what are your thoughts on them doing this? And then also what was the vibe that you were reading from all the pros and pundits? Well, a couple things. I guess first of all, it's it's um, really bad for brands to take one side or the other of the political equation. It's just not a smart move, you know, um, because you're gonna because the, the country's so polarized that you're gonna lose half of your audience one way or another. Um, Secondly, the tone of that thing was just, it just made me shake my head and go, surfers are the worst. You know, there's the problem with surfers, and I'll include myself in this, is that we're generally uneducated relative to really deep dive discussions about, um, you know, big issues. You know, like, Look, I, you know, okay, I've got a Bachelor of Arts degree, you know, from Cal State San Marcos, you know, like, I'm not the go to guy for, you know, in depth discussions on liberalism, or, you know, Thomas Hobbes, or John Locke, or, you know, like, the actual, or any of this, you know, like, and, and, and the, what I read on Todd's Instagram is proof that either of the rest of the surfers that I've read, that I read their takes on this, you know? So I, it, it just kind of like that whole Instagram thing just spiraled into a rabbit hole of hell where it was just like a bunch of people spouting sort of whichever side of the equation they were on sort of the talking points. And then, you know, the most classic one is when, you know, guys would be like, I'm not even voting, <laughs> you know, like as if they know something that we don't know and that by not participating in the process, they're getting a leg up on us on some level. I don't know. The whole thing is just mind-blowingly ignorant. And again, I'll include myself in that. I'm not, I'm not an expert on any so of So you started by saying it's a bad decision, though, to post something like this as a business? I think it is. I think as a brand, it's it, you know, like that's not, unless that's what your brand is, you know? Right. Unless like your Patagonia. Brand, yeah, exactly. Unless that's part of your brand identity and you're going to embrace right. it and wrap yourself around it. Um, but the, 
But you're right, the conspiracy that AMI, which is um, owned in the National Enquirer, and I believe did AMI was at one point the owner was um, like, I think he was friends with the president or something, or I don't know. He, but. he was the one responsible for, literally, he was the one, uh, David Pecker, interestingly, is his name. Um, he was the one who funneled the hush money to Stormy Daniels to kill her story about the sexual impropriety with Trump. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah, oh. not only is he friends with Trump, he's the one funneling the hush money to the... Uh, right, he buried those stories or whatever, right? So the, the idea that there's a conspiracy that because Surfer, especially under Todd, had sort of leanings towards the left or towards liberalism, um, they shut down the magazine because of that. It has some a little bit of legs based on the fact that this David Pecker guy has some connection and I guess was friends with the president. Uh, yeah, but any um, leaning that Todd was in pushing the magazine towards, I think was so vague and not um, obvious. Yeah, I, don't, I agree. I don't, I, don't, I don't think David Pecker's reading between the lines going, yeah. canceled. Exactly. Um, and and plus, plus, plus they, they canceled Bike Magazine, Powder yeah. Magazine. I mean, they did a, a massive uh, a gutting. You know? If the magazine was making money, they would have kept it. Exactly. Boom. Um, so... I thought it was interesting watching the hysteria play out in regard to that post. And that's the most problematic thing right now for me is in regard to the election, but also in regard to our COVID conversation is the hysteria is problematic. And I think it is kind of a reflection of that social dilemma documentary or the social dilemma identifies kind of why people are being spun out into hysteria. But Look, I thought, I saw that political post and I thought, okay, who cares? Like, I don't mind that they took a stance on it. Um, I had people, friends who I totally respect and are smarter than me and all that saying, I use surf, surfing as a refuge for me. And throughout the day, I'm bogged down by all of this political <clears throat> nonsense and coronavirus and everything else. So for surfing, I just want to reprieve from surfing. And by the way, I got those emails about your and my COVID discussion too. Like, hey, it just feels dirty and ugly. We don't want to hear about that. Talk about fun stuff. Yeah. And so I understand why people feel that way. I personally don't feel that way. I, I mean, surfing is a reprieve for me, but I've never had a hard time um, divorcing myself from, I don't know, if there was a story about somebody getting choked out or punched out or something that didn't then tarnish my experience surfing. You know what I mean? Like seeing their political post, I thought, I think one thing that I was happy about is that it's okay to, it's great to activate people. I think as crazy and outlandish as the Trump presidency is, it's activated people. Like I've taken a much more uh, bigger interest in politics than I ever did before. And, and for a long while, I felt like, well, my vote probably doesn't matter anyways. And by the way, whether a Republican or a Democrat is running the country, my life doesn't really change that much. And it's probably just lobbyists that are lobbying for capitalist interest anyways, which I'm also okay with. So I was apathetic, largely. And 
the Trump presidency is like, oh man, no, this is a reflection of our morality and it's a reflection of, and decisions do get made and it does change policy, certainly environmentally and all this stuff. And so it's activated me. And I think that Surfer Magazine largely has been activated by it too and is recognizing that they are an influence. And so they want to share what their views are. And if it triggers people, it's like, that's weird to me. It's weird that someone would be triggered by that because you can be a Trump supporter or a Republican and read that post, still enjoy the magazine, have a difference of opinion with them and not have to smash your thumbs into your phone with an angry rant in the comments section. You know, like it's okay to disagree with them and it's okay to not start cussing at them when you disagree with them. The hysteria and the triggered is just really the problem for me. And and that's why I was like, oh my God, this is a rabbit hole of hell because you're just seeing that hysteria that you're talking about and you're like, God, these people maybe they should go surfing instead of well by the way i, I, I want to read something that i read this morning that, that i think is relevant um, yeah from a book i'm reading it says do everything you can to avoid the noise and the business of men keep as far away as you can from the places where they gather to cheat and insult one another to exploit one another to laugh at one another or to mock one another with false gestures of friendship be glad if you can keep beyond the reach of their radios do not read their advertisements. I, I read that this morning. I was like, wow, that's that's like social dilemma stuff, you know? I know. So that's telling them to shut off this podcast. Don't listen to us or, or <laughs> well, listen to us talking about our advertisers. Kind of does, but. Um, well, I think even though I'm glad that everybody's activated, I think the downside of that is dissension. You know, like. People, it's so polarizing. What we need really is for everyone to kind of come to the center, you know, like we can be right. We can be on the, a little bit on either side of the equation, but we all have to come to at least some understanding of truth. That's the problem. There is no nuance anymore. And as is (laughs) proof by my rant last week. Right. Well, no, I mean, that's honestly what it's come down to is if you wear a mask, you're this. If you don't, you're that. If you support this thing, you're Republican and you're then, and it's like, no, that's actually not the way it works. You don't have to vote along party lines. You can kind of have, I don't know, democratic ideology and more Republican kind of, you know, fiscal policy or whatever. Like you can have both things and it's crazy. And I feel like even the parties themselves are hammering you into those corners, trying to create dissension. And I don't think dissension is good for anybody or anything. And it's certainly not good for our country. It was a predecessor to Rome falling. It was a predecessor to all great civilizations. It was a predecessor for any big company, for any band, it was Beatles, for them to break up. Like dissension among, yeah, dissension among the ranks is not a good thing. And I think now more than ever, as like a human race, firstly, and then secondly, as a country, we need to get together. We need to, we need to have some solidarity, you know? I, amen to that, brother. We can have differences, but we can also agree that, hey, I'm not so bad. You're not so bad. Yeah. Let's yeah. just try to figure this thing out. We all bleed red. We all, uh, that wasn't a political statement. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we all want the best for our kids. 
you know, yes. we want our parents to live to old age and our grandparents, like we all want the same things. Yes. So, um, wow. Love and tolerance coming from Dave. This is good. So, uh, as, even though you, however, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I will say this. It was interesting to see what side of the equation a lot of these people fell on. A lot of like there was pro surfers. Chiming that's, in. that's what there I want was, to know. There was, you know, like, and a lot of those I already knew. I think Brett Simpson took a lot of heat for posting some stuff. Um, you know, and, and so did others like Tyler Wright took heat for posting stuff on sort of the other side of the equation. And, and then, you know, Ace Bucken chimes in and, and, and some other pros, Chris Ward chimed in and Joel Tudor. I mean, it got to, it got, and these are people that were just hammering aggressively with hysteria on their keyboards. And it was, it was kind of a bummer, you know, like it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't help anyone, especially them. I think, I think it's better to kind of keep your cards close to your vest. I don't know. I, I struggle with that. I don't know that that's the best thing. I think it's, did you, are you going to not follow any of those guys anymore or not watch them surf because of their political views? No, no, no. Yeah. So no, I, I, I like watching Chris Ward surf. And, <laughs> and if I, Chris I like, Ward hasn't already like established that yeah, you shouldn't watch <laughs> him surf, then this won't. <laughs> the situation at Mammoth might've shaken me, but it didn't. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to watch. But um, did you see that two turn? Part of it is he watched for the train wreck a little bit too. Of course. So did you see that two turn combo that he posted on Instagram at Lowers? Um, I think I no, I don't think I did. I, I watched this thing five times. He posted it the other day, and I'm like, huh. I got to appreciate Chris. I can't not appreciate him. Just like one big man hack off the first section, like Rah. yeah, but like does a bottom turn looking down at his feet like Michael Ho. And then like goes up into the lip and just blows through the lip, but just fully centered over his board the whole time. There's no like layback. There's no just centered full power. And I was like, God, well, Chris is still Chris, got it. Mayhem chimed in too on that thread. Like it just got it just got crazy. Like some of the stuff that went down on that thread. What was Mayhem's or uh, uh, I don't want to misrepresent what it, his perspective was. Both of these guys in the political in the presidential race are are morons. So is he yeah, not just, voting? Well, like a lot of people were asking, like, who are you for? Blah, blah, blah. Of course, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go there. He likes to stir the pot and, and step back and watch it boil, <laughs> which yeah. is good. Yeah. But anyway, it, it was, you know, like I said, the, mostly what I got from it is none of these people, I really want to trust what they have to say. You know, like Ian Carnes, Karen's, you know, he started out with sort of, you know, a centrist viewpoint on, Hey, let's just all get along and pick up trash or whatever. And then it boiled. he got taken to task. And of course, anyone who knows Ian knows that he's not going to back down. And so he was immediately got hysterical on his, you know, blah, 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 blah. and uh, anyway, the whole thing is just sort of silly. So I didn't, I'd be curious to hear your perspective I, on Brett Simpson because I didn't read his stuff, but the only things that I've ever seen him say are pro-American. Like he's, he's proud to be an American and he waves yeah. the flag. Yeah. And I, I have no problem with that. Like that's totally fine, but I feel like the internet at large will interpret that as Trump support. Yeah. And I don't feel like, like Brett's ever come out 
and endorsed Trump or said anything political ever once. I feel like he's only put American flag emojis and said, go USA. Yeah. And, and I think that the, you're right. Those do tend to be sort of um, adopted by, you know, those emojis, those icons, that iconography that he sort of wraps himself in do sort of come off um, as a supporter of the president, partly because of the Huntington Beach connection. I think that helps to kind of push people thinking, oh, maybe that's where Brett comes from, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I it, think it, it, if you read funny. some of the stuff, you will see that he is definitely uh, voting for President Trump, which. Oh, yeah, you. Oh, OK. Best. That's his right. Whatever. Got it. Okay. I didn't, I didn't read that. Um, which is funny though. That implies that even like, it's so silly to me that that all implies that then Biden and Kamala and the Democrats are anti-American. Yeah. It's, that's where, that's <laughs> you know, where we get, like, there's no more nuance. It's just like, you're either this or you're that. And it's like, when you're either this or you're that, and you believe that the person is either this or that, then you're ignorant. You have and, to be so dumb. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I don't mind if this offends people at all. You yeah. have to be so dumb to think that because Trump says make America great, that that means that Biden hates America and that uh, Biden doesn't want America to be great. Of course, yeah. Biden wants America to be great. Yeah. Like if you're that subject to the slogan and the tagline, you probably shouldn't be voting. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like both well, presidents want America to be great. They have a different version for what greatness looks like, and they have different values for what greatness looks like. But the other person is an anti-American. Like, it's insane that, again, Sippo could put an American flag and people are like, that's anti, like, it's crazy. It's really crazy. The other thing, well, I sort of mentioned this already, but it was interesting to see people kind of come out of the woodwork, like David Carson chimed in on this thing, you know, and probably because it was a surfer magazine related thing. Yeah. People that I normally don't necessarily see super vocal or active. Um, this, this sort of pricked them a little bit and they felt the desire to get in there and say what, what it is that they said. And um, it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting time here. Um, but regarding surfing, I've got some interesting good news. Fantastic. San Onofre and trestles have been saved for good. That's right. Uh, after 15 long years, and I'm reading now from Surfline, uh, the fight to save San Onofre State Beach is finally finished. Following the signing of Assembly Bill 1426, Surfline caught up with Steve Long, founder of the San Onofre Parks Foundation, former lifeguard of the state park for 36 years, and father of renowned waterman Rusty and Greg Long, and longtime advocate for this treasured stretch of coastline, Steve Long said this, this step cements what has been a layered approach for many, many years. And I like to think of it as a symbol of hope for the future. Collectively, the will of the people can achieve great things. We have indeed made a statement here that we value our sacred land for its cultural and natural assets, as well as a source for recreation. The future is very bright for San Onofre. By the way, I would vote for Steve Long, no matter what he ran for. I know him. He's a good guy. And uh, he's a guy that I think has a uh, nuanced and centered approach to things. Which is funny because 
as much as people don't want Surfer Magazine making a presidential, uh, you know, whatever, they're fully down with hearing about Maurice Cole running for city council or Rabbit Bartholomew on the Gold Coast or the Trestles situation, which is a political or has become a political um, thing, you know? Yeah. So uh, they care in certain ways. They don't care in other ways or ways that conflict. Um, so yeah, that's a great story. Congratulations. It's been a long time coming. This felt like an endless fight that would never, ever end that would just get tied up in bureaucracy and litigation. So big kudos to that crew. Yeah, that's cool. There will not be, um, you know, there will not be, um, the area. So it's cool. Very cool. Um, so Maurice Cole, are you still there? I am. I am here. I hope. Okay, cool. Your thing, your audio cut out for a split second, but I think maybe it's still recorded it. Yeah. That's what I've noticed is that it does record even if it's glitched. Yeah. The video is glitched. Um, but if I can't, if, if I can't hear you, it makes it difficult to have a conversation. Um, Maurice Cole. So more Brisbane, uh, Brisbane times reported, quote, a controversial plan for a permanent viewing platform at Bells Beach is shaping as a major flashpoint at uh, Surf Coast Council elections, where a coalition of independent candidates hopes to ride a wave of concern about the rapid pace of urbanization. Renowned surfboard shaper Maurice Cole is among the candidates vying for a seat on the Surf Coast Shire Council campaigning to preserve the untouched quality of the coastline. You like the word Shire? No, I'm just, I'm just imagining Maurice sitting on that council, man. That is going to be crazy. Talk about shaking it up. Uh, he said, quote, we are ready. We are already seeing the most overcrowded car parks and surf we've ever seen. And the proposal for the raised 60, me- 60 meter platform at Winky Pop and Bells Reserve had come to symbolize fears about development on the coastline. He said that surfers and residents were angry about the proposal and believed that there should only be a temporary infrastructure installed for the Rip Curl Pro. Uh, Cole has accused the council of attempting to appease the World Surf League by agreeing to build the platform in the community's expense. The funding application asks for $183,000 to build the viewing platform, which has to be completed over the next whatever two years. One survey published last year says that 55% of the respondents would loathe the elevated pathway compared to the 36% that said that they would love it or like it. Uh, So this is just the current issue that Maurice is campaigning on, but the reality is he's a protector of that coastline and a huge local celebrity. And um, I don't know that there's anybody that cares more about protecting that coastline from urbanization and development than Maurice. Yeah. So whether or not he'll be a good council person is a different question. Is that your dog? Is your dog scratching? Yeah. Can you hear? Oh yeah. No, um, Maurice is dude. That guy's passionate. I love the guy. He's great. Um, I, I was just thinking to myself, well, how would I feel about a permanent viewing structure um, on a pristine p- piece of coastline, a historic piece of coastline that's not necessarily being, um, you know, I wouldn't say that there, it needs to be built to protect the coast from encroachment from the ocean. Um, it's sim- simply a viewing platform. It seems to me if it's not broken, don't fix it. 
Let's leave things in their natural state. What's wrong with that? Seems so imagine, simple. let's make a comparison. I'm going to tell you to stop real quick. Sophie, stop. Um, the comparison would be at Trestles where you pull off at Barcelona to check it before you go park at Christianitos. So yeah. imagine at Barcelona, if they built a permanent structure there, a parking lot and a permanent structure for everybody to go check what Lowers is doing. We would not want that. There's not even a chance that we would want that. No. Nobody would want yeah. that. Unless that you can buy a wave storm right when you pull off, you know, that right. might tip, tip the scales into my, uh, I might be into it. Yeah. Great call. Yeah. Um, hey, we owe a shout out to Need Essentials. The reason why we're in business all of these years. Absolutely. I love my Need Essentials. And I get nothing but good feedback from listeners constantly. And also listeners chiming in going, hey, is there a promo code to support you guys? No. I talked to me today, yesterday in the water at Suckouts about it. He's like, hey, Need Essentials, blah, blah, blah. We had a full Need Essentials discussion. Just randomly, you know, just came up to me and started asking me about it. So, Well, I'm going to need a new suit for the winter. And I was looking at the premium. They have like a new ultra premium thermals. Yeah. Do you know what the price difference is between a 4.3 and a 3.2? 25 bucks. 10. <laughs> 10 bucks. I was like, and the prices, and the prices, by the way, these are premium wetsuits, but the prices are ridiculously low uh, because it's direct to consumer, no hang tags, no logos, one colorway, blah, blah, blah. So that's the idea is epic quality product um, for a low price direct to you. But when I was a kid, it was like a four, three was 50 or maybe more than a three, two was. And so it was a big expense. And I had to decide like, which one do I get? I can't have both. I have to pick to be too hot for most of the year or too cold for, you know, one month essentially. And um, the idea that there's only a $10 difference between them is a reflection of why we love Need Essentials. Absolutely. High quality wetsuits at, um, a reasonable direct-to-consumer price, none of the marketing margin that has to be built into the price. So um, I'm all about it. In fact, I'm probably going to order a 4.3 as soon as we hang up here. There you go. Because it's that time of the year where I need to be on my game. I need to have my gear prepped and ready to go for that one morning in January or December when it's frosty and, and I'm in need, you know? Need. No, hey, I'm in need. If no you're in hesitation. need, get your need essentials. Exactly. Um, so I've got a must-see moment. Yeah. Unless you had other news stories that you want to get to? No, I don't. I just I mean, got to get to the surf. I know. That's why I'm <laughs> trying to rush this out for you. Must-see moment without a question or shadow of a doubt is Jay Davies in spirit. Jay Davies. I, I didn't see it. Didn't you, um, Did Rob send us that? Yeah. Yeah. I got to watch that. Oh, my gosh, dude. You're so late. This is – I am. This is late. worth, even right now, before you go I surf. I watch it before I surf, yeah. The problem how is- How do I you, access it? If I'm like on my computer, how would it's I? On, it's on Stab. Or okay. just Google J. Davies Spirit. I'll just go uh, to Stab. I'll, I'll go to Stab. But here's the deal. Yeah. If you watch that, you're going to need to also start lifting weights while you're watching so that you could pack on some muscle. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. <laughs> uh, Scott is flexing right now. You need to pack on about 30 pounds of pure muscle if you want to surf like Jay Davies, which by the way is why he's so radical. Like I feel like Jordy has held that mantle for a while of just being a big bloke who can do giant airs and man turns that Kanoa, like Kanoa shreds and surfs amazing, but he doesn't have the power that 
Jordy yeah. Smith has, right? Yeah. Jay Davies is on a whole new level. Jay's like pack 30 on Jordy of pure yeah. muscle. And he's doing it all in West Oz, which is radical too, because it's giant barrels. There's one left. I think Stab actually posted an Instagram of it at Desert Point where, or not Desert Point, but there's one left where gets barreled, does a full wrap cut, like down into the bottom turn, one motion into the barrel again, does another big wrapping cutback on a wave that's well overhead. That's like, it's the gnarliest thing I've seen. Like I think it's three or four barrels on one wave connected perfectly through the dots, not a single pump, no misplaced energy, just pure <laughs> fluid motion is amazing. If I can As, kick out, like my whole thing now is like, if I can just kick out with dignity, I'm kind of stoked. Jay Davies is on like level 35 relative to that. I mean, and he has a day shit. job. Oh yeah. He's a fisherman, huh? Or is it a pilot? He's a pilot. Yeah. Tugboat. Tugboat. Yeah. Operator. So Jay Davies in spirit is what everybody must see. And arguably one of the best things I've seen this year for sure. He's like the Terminator, that guy. He really is. Um, my Duke of the week is Sierra Kerr for doing by far gnarlier airs than any of the women on tour. And Sierra Kerr is 13 years old and admittedly they're in a wave pool, but still like she just dropped this two minute long edit from BSR cable park. She's doing the gnarliest airs we've ever seen a female do period. And the girl's 13 and it's like repeatedly, not just one clip that breaks the internet. She did, 20 it's gnarly well my kook is her father oh no he burned oh, it? did i say kook i mean duke oh okay my duke my duke kahanamoku is josh kerr and cj hobgood who along with um my friend joe sigurdson of the 100 wave challenge competed in their 100 wave challenge and of course josh and cj or damien excuse me each catching 100 waves and um the 100 Wave Challenge this year, because of COVID, we can't gather and be together as one. But you can go to 100wavechallenge.org, Google it, sign up, and just catch your 100 waves at your local beachy and, um, and get involved in that way. It's a, it's a fundraiser for the Boys to Men mentoring program. And um, my hats are off to Josh Kerr and Damian Hobgood for participating and catching the 100 waves and raising money for this uh, super important Boys to Men mentoring program. And I reckon Sierra could uh, owes a thanks to Josh as well for helping her get to where she's at doing the gnarliest airs in the world. She's well, had a she's, great mentor. She's an incredible golfer too. Like she's and she's skater. Kind of, yeah, she's she's like Wonder Woman. I mean, she's truly going to be a world champ. I mean, if nothing sets her off the trajectory that she's on, world champ status for sure. The girl's incredible. All right, fair enough. I like that's quite a that's a semi bold prediction. I'm fair. I'm fine with it. I stand by it. Cool. Well, until next time, David. um, Adios and aloha. Been away. Haven't seen you in a while. How've you been? Have you changed your style? And do you think that we've grown up differently? Don't seem the same Seems you've lost your feel for me 
So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me And we just disagree about you Have you got a place to stay? Why should I care? When I'm just trying to get along We were friends But now it's the end of our love song So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye Cause we can't